1: Aussies only. Thanks to GLG Green Life Group. Leaders in property services and open space management. At glgcorp.com. Well, on Aussies only now, we're going to check in with a name who you're very familiar with listeners to this podcast and listeners, of course, to the first serve. I speak of Nicole Bradkey, who's been a big part of the Australian Open commentary team over the journey. Obviously, a wonderful player in her own right, a two-time Grand Slam mixed doubles champion, a French Open semi-finalist, former world number 24, as well as also coached the Australian Fed Cup team along the way. But uh, Nicole, thanks very much for jumping on with us.
0: My pleasure, Darren. Yeah, it's nice to, uh, I guess, talk about memories of a long time ago.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, We'll start at the beginning. I, I understand you, you turned to tennis quite young, obviously, like a, a lot do that have sort of followed that pathway. How old were you when you started and what was that journey like?
0: I was really young. Um, my dad actually played baseball for Australia and cricket for Victoria. And my mum played tennis not at a, an international level or anything like she played midweek ladies four times a week so to say the least she loved her tennis so I think the hand-eye coordination was there and I would go along with mum all the time to tennis and just bugger her to hit with me and that's how I started I started playing and I think it was about four that I probably started just showing an interest in in playing tennis and um Yeah, that's how I got my introduction into tennis.
1: Now, the the journey at the highest level started quite young. I think you played in Australian Open at 15 or 16 or or something like that. But at what age did you you realise or did it dawn upon you that I don't just enjoy tennis, I'm not just good at tennis, but this might actually be able to take me somewhere?
0: Well, um, you know, mum and dad could see that I loved playing tennis. And so we lived down in Frankston at the time. And then so mum... They thought, oh, I think it might be time for her to have some lessons. They went to the coach and he said, look, I don't do private lessons. And mum and dad said, look, just, just have a hit there, and I think you might be quietly surprised. And lo and behold, he did. And he, I ended up having private lessons as well as group lessons and then I started entering into tournaments and started, you know, winning them during the school holidays and then I got selected in state teams and and training things and it just it it was a progression from there that um, I got in and then I got into Australian teams I had my first overseas trip when I was 12 went to America for six weeks and it was just the progress was was from there and then I was when I went to high school I went to a great mentor and girls grandma who were very supportive of me and very helpful and my coach then Ken Richardson and Morris Tennis Club was also coaching a number of international players and so I was guided under him and then I just you know sort of went from there and I was winning tournaments and being selected and then started getting wild cards and things like that so and that was from a young age
1: you take us through that first Australian Open appearance uh, obviously yeah. as you said, quite quite young and uh, was was that still at the stage where it was late in the year or was it was it was it January I by think- that point
0: No, it was the last Australian Open at Kewyong that I played. So um, I got a wild card and I won my first round. So if you can win a first round in a Grand Slam, that's huge bonus points and kind of really can pick you off or get you off to a really good start. And then I had to play Martina Navratilova second round. So that was my, I guess, progression into the big time. And from there, it was time to head off overseas over that year and then start, you know as an Aussie having to spend a lot of time away because it just wasn't, didn't make sense to come back and forth the whole time. And uh, so, yeah, I started on, on that journey.
1: The, the contrast of those matches, you won your first match quite convincingly, it was three and one. Yeah. And then you obviously play a, an all-time great as a teenager yeah. in your first Australian Open. W- what did you learn from that about, look, there's this level and then there's obviously this level up here, which you've obviously learned to, to try to, I guess, go on and bridge that gap?
0: Yeah, look, and you know what? We didn't play a lot of tournaments on grass, so I wouldn't say grass was probably my preferred surface, but playing Martina, you know, obviously great on grass. And I just had to look at it like that. I think once you sort of play the calibre of Martina Navratilova in your first match, you just want to get a game and you just yeah. want to, you know, feel like you're comfortable and then that can sort of settle the nerves a little bit. And that's how I looked at it and I just enjoyed the moment. Yeah, I was nervous, but I I love being out there. The crowd were, was on my side. So I just had to look at it from that point of view. Let's just enjoy the moment. Let's learn what we can. Then you've got to realize how good you, that you need to be if you want to get up to the top of the t- of the tennis.
1: And Martina ended up winning the Australian Open that year. Yeah. Um, yeah. in another of those finals against um, Chris but. Going on the world tour after that, you had been overseas before, but we've spoken to a lot yeah. of players that are doing it now and a lot of players that did yeah. it in the past about adjusting to living overseas. I think yeah. we're discussing it off air. You, you your son's yeah. about to go through something similar. But what was the challenges yeah. of of that and obviously trying to make your way from tournament to tournament?
0: I think that that was just my sole purpose. I just wanted to be a tennis player and I wanted to play. And I loved, I loved travelling and I loved competing. And I loved going to Europe because – you know, growing up in Melbourne, we played on what we call Auntie car which is is quite similar to clay. You slide and you do all those sorts of things. And I just, yeah, I, mum and dad couldn't come away because I've got a sister who's four years younger than me. Uh, and dad was the CEO of a, a trustees company. So it just wasn't that easy for them to travel in some ways, which is, you don't often see that now, um, you know, one parent is normally always traveling or I enjoyed it and I love the lifestyle and I love training. so for me and I had a coach Ken who had been overseas and done that all before and it, whilst there was a lot of training he also made sure that whilst I was traveling that I just wasn't sitting in a hotel room that I was going outside and I was seeing landmarks and I was being educated along the way so that was hugely important as well so I was sort of I became a, a well-rounded athlete that enjoyed playing on all surfaces but culturally I got to see a lot of great things as well the
1: breakout tournament, we, we've spoken a little bit about it back in the days through SEN, mm. but that French Open run in uh, yeah. 88 as a teenager, obviously you you held match points in the semifinal. You got very, very, very close to obviously winning that yeah. and getting through to the decider. You beat the likes of Sanchez Vicario along the way. Can you take us through that yeah. experience and, and what it was like? And, and did you allow yourself to think about winning the title or was it just riding the wave and, and sort of seeing how far you go?
0: Yeah, well, at that point I kind of was probably into my sixth tournament. You know, I'd played five tournaments in Europe beforehand, all on clay or it might have been more. And it just so happened that dad had come away, my dad had come away for three weeks or four weeks. He got and and he actually got to see me um get to the semis of the French. So that was That was a great moment for him to be able to do that. And mum and my sister obviously were at home. So, yeah, I just loved playing on clay. It was, even though I was typically quite aggressive on clay, I was not scared to come to the net, to hit drive volleys and to come and, and play. But once again, having grown up on the clay, I could slide and do all those sorts of things where Americans really didn't like to play on the clay. And I just, you know, it's a cliche, but I just took one match at a time, I beat to Kilsch, I beat Sylvia Haneke and then like you said um, Sanchez, Vicario. and in those days too you know I was playing singles, doubles and mix so I was playing all so it was just you know terrific so as it got towards the pointy end I you know you do start to think about it a little bit more and, and like you said I did have a match point but you know, it was a great run and thoroughly enjoyed every moment of it.
1: Now, you spoke about the doubles and, and mixed doubles. How early did you, I guess, target that thinking, I want to be a part of, you know, the, I, I feel I can make something of that. You had an association with Darren Kale, obviously, I think, along the way. Yes. and um, yes. I, I assume it dawned on you pretty quickly with some deep runs that that there could be some success on the horizon in that space.
0: Yeah, well, um, Darren and I got to the final of Wimbledon together, so that was great. And then obviously later on um, I won two mixed titles with Mark Woodford. You know, I did a bit of an art to playing mixed and I just happened to be able to be okay at it. And like, you know, I said, money's money. You know, when you're over there, at, you know, when you bank your cheques, it doesn't have an S beside it for singles or deeper doubles. So, if you're going to be away, you might as well make the most of it. And I enjoyed playing playing doubles and mix. So, and sometimes if your singles is not going so well, but your doubles is, you're still you're still part of the tournament and all those sorts of things. So, you know, I just think it's so important, especially for the Aussie kids, to just not to be so narrow minded about playing singles. When you do go go away, try and play as much as you can under match conditions because nothing substitutes great tennis as playing under match conditions instead of just, you know, playing singles. And that's what I always, you know, try and tell up and coming kids, just try and play as much as you can.
1: Yeah. I wrote an article about the, the balance of doubles at the moment and, and the influence it seems to have had in a positive sense. You look at the Australian successful players of the last decade. Obviously, Sam Stoza, who won a US Open, outstanding yeah. doubles player. Ash Barty made multiple Grand Slam doubles finals. Even players like Goff and Pegula, and just, people forget Sviontek made a Grand Slam final in doubles. Sabalenka, yeah. uh, Azarenka, yeah. etc. And even look, Nick Kyrgios had probably his best year of singles after having a great doubles start to the year. You look with players like Purcell sort of developing through that space as well. How influential do you, from a coaching point of view, would you be saying, look, that can add aspects to your craft on court and, you know, develop your game in ways that'll actually improve your touch as a singles player?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at Pagula playing doubles and you're volleying a lot more. So you're getting up hmm. to the net. So when she transfers that into playing singles, if she does create a great shot, she's not going to be too scared to come to the net. Coco Goth's the same thing. So I just think it's so important to have another skill set when you're learning to play tennis. And, you know, it's it's sort of come back around a bit, as we just saw recently in the Madrid Open as a winning the double. So she's playing a little bit more now. So while she mightn't be as successful in singles, she figured, well, I'm going to be out there practicing anyway. I might as well be playing a match. It's great to see. And you know what? Like I said, money's money. You're out there to try and, you know, you're a long time retired in this game. You know, a lot of women retire when they're 30 to 35 because, you know, they either go off and have children. You might as well look at it as a business as well, not just it's, it's your job and that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to have success and earn money and do all those sorts of things as well.
1: Career high ranking for you in 1993 in singles, obviously coming off a good run at the Olympics, um, obviously where you medalled in in doubles, I think the year before in, in Barcelona. Did you feel that you physically or mentally hit your, your peak at that point? And, and was it a case of being in the system for a few years and obviously getting used to the rigours of all of that that allowed you to to climb again in, in 93?
0: I think so. I mean, you know, it's hard to be at the top all the time. So, I mean, you're going to have these lulls of periods in your career that that you're just not playing that well. And, with you know, it doesn't matter how good you are or where you are on the rankings. You know, players do go through lulls where I guess the mental aspect of things does come in and you maybe doubt yourself some of the time. But some of the time just... I felt though when I was playing lots of matches or playing lots of tournaments that I would certainly get on a roll, And I guess that was one year that I certainly got onto a bit of a role and, and was playing well on all surfaces as well. So I was doing well on hard court and then, you know, I had a good run at Wimbledon. So I just didn't pigeonhole myself into playing on one surface.
1: To beat Steffi, um, obviously, unbelievable player, could certainly mount a case to be the, the, the greatest player of all time yeah. in, in many respects. Um, the, the significance of that win and obviously what it did for the Australian team at the time as well.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the, the Fed Cup now that it's called the Billie Jean Cup has mm. played in a number of different formats over the years and that, that format that we played was just all in one week and it happened to be in Germany and Wendy Turnbull was the captain. So and obviously when we play Federation Cup or Billy Jean Cup, your coach is allowed to be on the court with you. Um I'd always had some good matches with Steffi. I just matched up okay albeit I hadn't won any until then. But um I just played a cracker of a match. It was just my day <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, you know, it was just um three sets and just everything came together and I played a really good match and we we ended up winning and we had a good doubles combination as well. So, um, you know, one played one in the singles, two played two, and then you played your doubles match. So, yeah, it was great excitement to beat her at the time. As someone
1: who spent a, a long time in the game, obviously you look at someone like Margaret Court, who was an era before, but you, you played yeah. against players like Navratilova through the 80s, then Steffi Graf 80s into the 90s, and then through your work in in media and coaching, you would have come across Serena Williams and players like that. How would you compare those in terms of, I guess, what makes them great and are you able to separate them at all?
0: You know, it's kind of hard to separate them because they've all got different aspects. I mean, Steffi was a phenomenal athlete as well, fierce competitor. Also in that blend, you've got Monica Sellis Mm. who – was a great ball striker from both sides who was that came into that. Then in my era, there was more, not a lot of Martina Navratilova's playing, mm. similar maybe Jana Novotna when she did play, but you've always got that one player that probably plays that slightly a little bit different. Then fast forward and just around, like just physically, then the players started to get a lot taller and stronger. You know, obviously Venus coming into to that that mix as well. So and technically they were really good and once again great competitors. So look it's you know you're comparing apples and oranges and it's just the different eras and how the game has progressed along the time because of the physical aspect of it all. Um and then Ash comes along and plays this beautiful eloquent game that gets into people's heads because she's got a slice backhand and she can come to the net and she can volley. So it's always not have it's nice to have these different players crop up and just um you know kind of mix things up a little bit
1: i think through singles doubles and mixed you'd made something like eight seven or eight grand slam semi-finals before obviously winning the the two mixed doubles titles in in 1992 obviously to win the home one and then to win on the hard courts in the US later in the year. Can you, you take us through, I guess, what that was like to, to have had so many deep runs, but but to then obviously get the the chance to, to lift a title alongside a, another Australian as well?
0: Well, I picked a good partner. <laughs> At the time, he was doing pretty well in men's doubles as well. So, and Mark was lefty, crafty, I guess, I don't want to say unorthodox, but could handle the way that the females play. You know, obviously we didn't hit the ball quite as hard, maybe didn't come to the net, but then he would lob and he would dink and he would do all those sorts of things that would frustrate players. So we actually blended really well together and that's probably why we won um, the two Grand Slam titles together.
1: The Olympics that year, I'm always keen to ask tennis players, obviously you, you have meddled in that, where do they put the Olympics on the shelf of, of everything, you went to a couple of games. You, you've obviously got a medal hanging in the in the yeah. cabinet. But at the start of a year or the start of a career, if it is an Olympic year, does it rank anywhere near, say, the the four slams? Is it like a fifth major? Where does it sort of sit?
0: For me, look, yes, I'm 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 very proud of having won an Olympics and to be able to be a part of it. And my doubles partner Rachel McQuillan is fantastic. You know, obviously, I married a basketballer who came. <laughs> fourth yeah four time
1: yeah and yeah.
0: it is the pinnacle for them so he wishes he would win one and here <laughs> I have one which I do I think I look back now and if I have to take it somewhere kids love what it is for an Olympics I'm awfully proud of it you I would always make myself available to play Olympics so it's it's hard to say because you know I haven't i got to a final of Wimbledon You know, of course, you'd like to win one, but it's hard to rank them. But as a tennis player, yes, I guess you'd win a one at the Grand Slams. And then, you know, obviously the Olympics, we came back in in, I think it was at 88 that we came back in and I didn't play that, I didn't get um, picked to play that year, but um, yeah, I, it's still very special. They're all fantastic, so I'll, I'll take it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a few broadly, obviously, you've had a lot of experience with the Fed Cup as a player and then obviously as a coach as well. You just mentioned the changes going to the Billie Jean King Cup, the, the Davis cup going through transformations as well. Yeah. What do you make yeah. of, of that? Has it been for the better? Has it been for the worse? Where do you sit?
0: It's kind of hard with the men's. I think they've botched that up quite a little mm. bit, um, the way that they've handled that. You know, as long as the the top players participate, I think what they've done now, they've allotted time in the schedule because we're seeing some tournaments now, whilst they're two-week tournaments, we're only going for a week and a half, like Madrid, the Italian Open and all those times. So they're making slots in the uh, calendar to accommodate, to try and get top players to play. I think coming from a country that has such rich history in representing your country, I think it just is a natural progression for Aussies to want to represent their country. So for us, most players would would go out of their way to play. And so I, I think for the women now, they we've tried a number of, and it's got to be financially viable as well, and I think for the women now they've got a great situation for them.
1: Obviously had some injuries uh, after that we spoke about the 92-93 run obviously you had a, a spike again in, in 95 yeah. with some good wins and back into the top 40 <laughs> and was it a shoulder injury in the end that, um, yeah, that brought it, it to an end in the mid 90s?
0: Yeah it was I had like a burster in my shoulder that just had to keep having injections in it and it just sort of wasn't got uh, getting better so yeah it was just getting just too painful so that's ended up why I ended up obviously I'd been I got married in in 94 and Mark and I was sort of he, he had a bit of time traveling with me but then he would started playing back again and things like that so it was sort of like passing ships in the night for a lot of the time so yeah that's the ended up reason why just the shoulder was just not being kind to me and obviously you need your shoulder to serve and do all those sorts of things. So um, yeah, that's in the end, ultimately why I retired.
1: In terms of coaching and, and the like, obviously you've worked with some good players. Was that a logical transition for you to, to sort of stay involved and move straight into it? Or was there a few options at that point and you, you kind of weren't no, sure which way it would go?
0: Yeah, I think I'm, I'm always such a busy person that just doesn't sit down and do anything. So, you know, I liked, obviously I had, my children then, and then the time was right to get back into the fold. And then I got the phone call from um, David Taylor, who who was the the captain of the Fed Cup team at the time. And it was just at the right time for me to start getting back into the swing of things again. The, the boys were, I think, five and one when I started doing the Fed Cup coaching, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And so I just dabbled a bit in coaching because I, you know, I still love being a mum and things like that. So that's sort of how it progressed from there.
1: When you look back at your career, beat as a player and a coach, is there one memory that always sort of comes back more often than others? Is there one that you sort of say, when I go back in my head or when I'm sort of putting my head down on the pillow, that's where I go more often than not?
0: Yeah, the French Open. I've been back to Wimbledon since, but I haven't been back to, to Paris. I'd love to get there <laughs> again <laughs> to go back and take a walk down memory lane again, albeit it's changed a lot too since I was there. Yeah, I think, I think the French Open run, you you like as an individual having the success that I had in the singles and dad was there. I think that's one that I certainly hold dear to my heart. Last
1: year before we let you go, obviously the, the Legends doubles, we see that at the Australian Open all the time. How much fun is that to, to still be out there playing alongside, be it, uh, you know, your brother-in-law Todd or (laughs) be it Martina and these sorts of players as well just just to be able to almost have those lifelong bonds and and share the court with players that you were playing you know 35 years ago
0: you know what it's it's so nice now because a lot of when we played normally on the tour when I was playing professionally like we didn't you didn't really socialize that much with people and now that we're retired it's so lovely to sit back and to find out what (laughs) people are doing with their lives, if they've got kids, or what's going on with everyone. So it's it's a lot of fun, but I still hit quite a lot because I still coach some kids that hit the ball reasonably well and I just I still love hitting. So, you know, tennis is a is a game for life as long as you're able to and physically able to play. So to be invited back to still play, yeah, you do get a little bit sore and yeah, it's it's a great it's a great event to be able to still participate in.
1: Is there a natural competitiveness that never goes away, or, or are you able to distance yourself and kind of say, "Well, this is a bit of fun now"?
0: You <laughs> um, still like to win, and my kids can testify that they're twenty, <laughs> nearly twenty-three, and nineteen now. And when I hit with them, I still like to win. I can't let them. <laughs> it's just something that's ingrained in you that you are competitive, and that's just me. <laughs> you,
1: you mentioned the the, the family, obviously. Hubby, a star son, was on Melbourne's list as well. Austin, and and now you've got another son who's about to embark on a journey in basketball overseas. Obviously, good genes, but but what's it like? Obviously, going from being the uh, the athlete to the parent of the athlete.
0: It's horrible. It's so (laughs) it's much harder watching than it is playing. You go through every shot that's played or Hmm. every kick kick. You just hope they don't get injured and things like that. Much easier playing than it is as being a spectator. But, um, yeah, the boys are sort of, you know, one's followed in in Mark's foot. So he's as tall as Mark now at 19. He's six, mm. going on so he's really tall. Austin, who's the 23. 23- well, he's the shortest in of the boys in the family, <laughs> just a tad under six foot ten. So <laughs> um, I'm the shortest by a long way at five ten. Yeah, it's great that they're Jensen's off off to St Mary's in San Francisco. So we go in a a, a week and a half. So that's an exciting journey, a sad one for me because he's at the institute, which is really close. <laughs> and now he's off to there, but he's just. It's great for them to see them doing something that they love and success at it as well. So it's great.
1: And some general ones, obviously you've done a bit of media as well. How have you sort of enjoyed that side of things going to the, the analytical part?
0: At times it's frustrating when you're watching someone and seeing the way that they play or I guess technically, uh, but you know, the games, it has changed, but it hasn't changed. I guess there's not much finesse in the game, especially in the women's side of things. They just try and blast away all the time instead of just, you know, working your way into the match and thinking about it tactically. So that's a little frustrating some of the time watching it. I love radio. I did love doing the radio. That was that was great. And, yeah, it's just – it's a way of still being involved. So I still thoroughly enjoy doing it.
1: Yeah, you mentioned you're still doing a bit of coaching and, and that sort of stuff. But what else does sort of life entail these days? Obviously, you've had a few um, irons in the yeah. fire across the way.
0: Yeah. So I've taken up golf. I do golf now. So that takes up a bit of my time. And like I said, I coach enough that I still enjoy it. I'm big on cardio tennis. That seems to be my thing that a lot of people come to and that they love. And I really love enjoying doing that because there's a lot of adults. So I thoroughly enjoy doing that. And like I said, golf, my sister's virtually turned into a professional (laughs) golfer now, playing four to five times a week. So I don't play that much, but I love, I love doing that. That's a new skill set that, that I've learned to do. And then, you know, when we are travelling, I can go and play golf with Mark or, or do some things like that. So that tends to what I'm doing now.
1: Funny, our most recent guest was Scott Draper, speaking of the golf transition. Just finally, um, your, your thoughts on, on Aussie tennis. Obviously, Ash has, has moved on and unbelievable career. Sam's retired as well, unbelievable career. Yeah. How do you yeah. feel we're, we're placed in terms of the next generation, be it men's or women's sort of coming
0: through? Well, women's, were a little light on. It's mm. a bit sad to say that, you know, we might only have, you know, one direct entry into the the French Open and that be Isla Tomlonovich and she hasn't played in a while because she's obviously been injured. I mean Dasha probably would be up there if she didn't, you know, unfortunately do her ACL last year. So I'm not quite sure how far away. So we've just got to get some of these girls back into the top 100 so they're getting direct entries into these grand slams. So we're a little bit light on in that respect. I'm seeing you know a few of them are doing okay work, you know, getting their rankings up. Kimberly Burrell got to get them up into this top 100, so you know that's probably the next the next step. And you know there's some young juniors coming along the way. And the men, the men are doing pretty well. You know, you've got we've got quite a few men that will be direct entries. Sort of the old, some of the older 25s. Like O'Connell's doing really well. Mm -hmm. You know, you've they're having these. Diminol's always you know going to be up there. Nick's been out for a while. Coconarcus is sort of teetering on getting back into the top 100 so we just need to you know get these women get them up and, and get them into you know the top 100 so that that would be what i'm you know looking forward to seeing how they go over the next few months
1: nicole it's been great to head down memory lane thanks for for yeah. jumping on with us and um yeah well done on your your contribution to the game over the journey and hopefully we can uh, cross paths again at the tennis shortly yeah.
0: thanks darren it's lovely to have a chat and walk down memory lane <laughs>
1: The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in,
0: in a Twitter.